Welcome to Clear Thinking, a GPS for the Christian mind, teaching you how to think, not just what to think. This is Joe Aguirre with theologian and philosopher Kenneth Samples and physicist Dave Rogstad. On today's podcast, what is God's relationship to government and what does that mean for believers in Christ? Ken, this topic is often on Christians' minds, and you have some points that can help us think through what it means to be a Christian and a citizen. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting to me that uh, it, it's, you know, we kind of think today politics is very divisive, and, and it is. But when you look back through history, I mean, um, uh, politics has always been controversial, and I think it's important to be able to look at what the scriptures have to say about God and government and what our responsibilities are. And so I've come up with uh, six points. I call them six biblical truths about God and government. And um, I'm certainly never going to tell anybody who to vote for, but I, I do want to talk a little bit about what kind of considerations should a Christian give when it comes to voting. So I'm hoping this is, will be a very informative program. Sounds like it is. Uh, I know I'm looking forward to it. Dave is as well. So let's go ahead and get started. Well, my first point here is, number one, is that God establishes government. And uh, I want to draw to Paul's writing in Romans 13. Paul says, there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And, you know, we need to think very carefully about the idea that the Lord is, a, he's the sovereign creator and ruler, sustainer of the universe. He establishes human authorities, and government is therefore uh, not something that uh, gets its own authority, but it's been established by God. So government is a very important element uh, in, in Scripture. Uh, scripture says that government can do some very good things. Um, uh, for example, government can commend people who are good. Uh, it can punish evil. It can maintain peace. It can protect the innocent. Uh, of course, it can, it can also fail to do some of those things. But uh, that's what Paul goes on to say. Let me quote a little further here from Romans 13. Paul continues, he says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Uh, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval, for he is God's servant for the good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So, you know, Christians are divided uh, politically. Our country is divided politically. There's always controversies about those kinds of things. But the question of God's relationship to government has always been an important one. And I want you to recognize that when Paul was writing this in Romans chapter 13, guess who was the emperor? <laughs> it was Nero, uh, okay. who may have been one of the most ruthless evil emperors. Um, historians often talk about there being only two uh, good emperors, Caesar Augustus and Marcus Aurelius, 
St. Augustine, by the way, was named after those two emperors because they were known as just Caesars, and there were quite a few that were anything but that. So that first point is that God establishes government. So Christians should be thinking and recognizing the importance uh, of the role that a government can play. It can, it can it can commend the good, it can judge uh, the wicked, uh, and it can serve as uh, protection for innocent people. So that's my first point. God uh, establishes government. Can I move on to number two, or would you like to jump in? Yeah, I have a question, but I think you're going to answer it later, so I'll hold. Okay. Well, my second point is that God uses noble and ignoble governments to accomplish his sovereign purposes. And here I, I want to draw a passage uh, from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. It says, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, two people who uh, represented authority in Jesus's day, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, you know, when we talk about these theological issues uh, of providence and, and God being behind the scenes of history, these are very important principles that, uh, you know, as, as Scripture says about, uh, about Joseph, people tend to, you know, they intend for things to, to be evil, and God in his sovereignty, God in his providential plan, often reverses that uh, toward the good. Now, now here's a point that uh, may rub people a bit. Um, the Lord uses both just and unjust authorities to accomplish his sovereign will. God used even the Jewish and Roman authorities that oppose Christ to realize his ultimate purposes. So, you know, we uh, we may think uh, that there isn't anything good in government. I know sometimes we're tempted to think that, but the reality is that the government is established by God, and God is so great and so wise that he can use both noble government and ignoble government uh, to bring about his sovereign uh, plans. So uh, I, I think that uh, I think what what helps us here is, again, when Paul wrote Romans 13, Nero was on the throne. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet, Paul speaks highly of government, and he speaks, uh, you know, that it's important to to recognize that God is behind the scenes. Uh, Ken, a question on on that idea. The second point: uh, some people may look back at say just the twentieth century and see the horrible evil uh, that occurred uh, because of totalitarian governments. But that the two words there, I think. Uh, I'd like you to comment on our his or three words, his sovereign will. That is, maybe we don't know what God's sovereign will is, but because it seems so hard to see, you know, what good could could come out of it. I know this is a really big question, but I wonder if you can offer some thoughts on that. 
Well, I think you're exactly right. I mean, the 20th century was an extraordinary century. Um, it was dominated, at least for a time, by totalitarianism. Uh, we saw that in Nazi Germany. We saw it in Imperial Japan and then the growth of the Soviet Union and communism. Uh, some suggest that uh, communism in itself, uh, the dictators in the Marxist uh, system of philosophy, uh, may have murdered 100 million people. Um, and so, yeah, this is very difficult. I mean, all you have to do is uh, read some of the writings of people who were Christians, who were living in Germany, uh, who were deeply troubled by uh, their dictator, Adolf Hitler. And, um, you know, it, it, it's certainly true that there are times we, we need to think about these kinds of things. We need to reflect upon what is our relationship to government. And you're right on target. I mean, uh, it's hard to imagine. It, it is hard to imagine what happened in the 20th century. I think one of the reasons I have been a almost lifelong student of World War II is when I first read about the Holocaust, I just couldn't get my mind around it. It just seemed, it seemed so wicked. It seemed so overwhelming. Uh, that I couldn't stop looking at the pictures uh, in the books that I was reading. And uh, I remember having a conversation with my dad not long before he died. And uh, he, he died in 1985, so it was about 40 years after the war ended. And I remember my dad, uh, uh, we were talking, and I could tell he, his mind was going back to being a combat soldier in World War II. And he said, son, um, do you think the Lord will punish me? for all of those men that I killed in the war. And I thought, wow, what a moment I'm having with my dad here. And I said, dad, um, I said, on your resume, it's going to read that you did your part in helping stop the Holocaust. I said, dad, you had to do it. And, uh, you know, Christians have faced many difficulties uh, they face difficulties in the 20th century, and of course, innocent people of all types have faced these difficulties with, with tyranny, but the early Christians did as well. Um, and, the you know, the Roman Empire was brutal. St. Augustine wrote one of his most important work, works, uh, The City of God, largely responding to the idea. Um, at the time, there were Romans who said, you know, we we were doing pretty good as an empire until Christianity came along, and they blamed Christianity for uh, the Roman Empire breaking down. Augustine's point in the City of God is it's not the newfound faith that's destroyed the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is coming apart because it was built on tyranny. It was built on injustice. And so uh, I think it's important to think about these things. I know it's tempting uh, at times for people to kind of say, I don't want anything to do with government. You know, I'll, I'll just pay attention. I'll read my Bible. I'll go to church. I don't, I don't need to know what's happening in the world. Some of my further points are going to illustrate that it is God has called us to care about government and to think about government and to pray uh, that God's will be done. So, you make a good point, Joe, and it's uh, it's not an easy thing. Uh, it's not an easy thing always to know who to vote for. It's not an easy thing to uh, know exactly how to pray. 
Uh, but there are some very important biblical truths about government that we need to be aware of. Good. Well, that leads me right into my third point, and that is that God calls his people to pray for government officials. Let me give you a quotation here from First I mean, Timothy. Uh, I got a question, Ken, before you, you know, you, you talk about the, the tyranny that's present in these nations and the collapse of those nations. Uh, are we to expect that China and Russia eventually are going to just collapse because of the tyranny that's present in those countries? What do you how do you feel about that? Well, it's a it's it's difficult to kind of project uh, about what will happen in the future. Um, right. I, I am willing to say this that uh, uh, I remember one of the uh, generals that worked in the Trump administration. Um, he was asked what he thought were the the most concerning military threats, and he mentioned uh, three. He said that North Korea was probably the most volatile situation. He said uh, probably the, the most uh, dangerous would be uh, Russia because of their uh, nuclear weapons. But he said that long term, he thought China was the greatest threat. Um, what is interesting, however, is sometimes uh, these powers do come apart. Uh, I offer this observation. Uh, you know, I kind of grew up during the Cold War. I remember uh, President Kennedy and President Johnson and then even President Nixon talking about the domino theory that if North, uh, you know, if if South Vietnam fell, then you'd have Cambodia and all these countries falling. Uh, and so I, I remember listening to their speeches uh, nevertheless, uh, the Korean War was a very difficult war. Mm. Vietnam, a very difficult war. Some people would even say that, you know, America got a draw in Korea and a loss in Vietnam. Of course, you could also look at it from the standpoint that uh, those wars kind of kept things in check until it gave time for the Soviet Union to fall apart. And it mm. was Ronald Reagan who came along. Well, if you look at China, and I'm hardly a, a, an expert on politics or China in particular, but you know, there, there's about half of the people or more in China live on a dollar and something a day. You have, you have kind of an odd country where you have kind of an element of capitalism mixed with, you know, kind of a, a totalitarian communism. What's going to happen with all of that? I, I don't know. But nevertheless, it brings us back to my third point. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, he says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all those in authority. Uh, you know, Paul at times mentions the emperor. Uh, he says that we should we should pray for them. And so we have an obligation uh, to pray for people who are in government. And, and here is the stickler, whether we voted for them or not, or whether we agree with them or not, we're required to pray for them. Um, I attend an Anglican church, a conservative Anglican church, and so we use the Book of Common Prayer. 
And I found it interesting. Uh, there's a number of prayers. And of course, the Anglican Church came out of England. So they have prayers for the king, prayers for the queen, pra prayers for the president of the United States, prayer for the government. Um, you know, uh, I, I think there's a lot of pessimism these days uh, among Christians when it comes to government. But scripture calls us to, to pray for them. And how do we pray? Well, I, I think we pray that. Uh, that uh, they will uh, follow what is just, they that they'll be wise and they'll be just and they'll be beneficent uh, in the way they approach their issues. And, uh, you know, we, we, we can also pray from the standpoint of our values and our, and our virtues. So praying is, is very important. And I know, again, in my own church service, there are times where uh, during the liturgy, we pray for the various individuals. And um, again, I think I think it's easy to become very pessimistic, maybe even cynical about government. And um, I'm not sure that it's worse today than it's been in the past. I remember uh, watching that series on John Adams that was a HBO special and to the degree that it was historically accurate. I, I found it interesting that Washington and uh, Jefferson and, uh, uh, you know, Adams, they'd be in the same room and couldn't agree on anything. Hmm. Um, so politics has always been uh, a, uh, you know, down and dirty, uh, a tumble area. And so, but prayer, we can pray and we should pray. And uh who knows what the Lord will do in that context? Good point. Okay, I'm going to go to point four. Um, God calls his people to honor and submit to the government authorities. Wow. God calls his people to honor and submit to governmental authority. Um, again, I'm going to read uh, from Scripture, 1 Peter 2, 13. Peter says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors. And uh, Peter goes on to say in that same context, he says, the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So again, the idea that uh, government is a good thing um, it can become a bad thing, but it is a good thing. I think we can even draw the biblical inference that uh, that a that no government would be worse than a bad government. And and so we want to be praying. We want to submit. Now there are limitations to that submission that we'll get into in just a couple minutes. But again, I'm going to make this point. Believers are to extend honor and submission to those who govern them, whether we voted for them or whether we didn't vote for them, whether we agree with them or not, whether we like them or not. We are to extend honor and appropriate submission. Now, here I want to make a point. Um, uh, you know, I... I I'm a student of politics. I've always been interested in the in the process. I remember in 1976, I turned 18 and I couldn't wait to vote. Uh, and 
I've, you know, I've had an interest in particularly uh, presidents of the 20th century. I don't know who I've spent more time studying, C.S. Lewis or John Kennedy, but they're both uh, right up there. Um, you know, sometimes I see people, including Christians, who don't seem to want to extend much honor to to people in authority. Um, you know, I see uh, I see placards where people use expletives uh, to the president or to the governor. Um, I'm. I think that we need to extend honor, if even if we are not terribly impressed with the character of these people, uh, that they hold a position uh, that we should honor. And uh, you know, Paul here again, uh, uh, excuse me, Peter here even mentions the emperor explicitly. So. Um, it's important to to extend to them appropriate honor, and it's appropriate uh, to submit to them. And uh, I want to remind people that government does good things. Uh, government is intended to punish uh, evildoers, to, to protect the innocent. Uh, government uh, uh, does a lot of good things. And I, I think it's tempting to think that, uh, I think the temptation here is we realize that government's never going to bring a utopia on the earth. Um, you know, that that's not possible. Jesus's kingdom is not of this world. Um, we realize that government cannot take the place of the church. We realize in our theology that human beings are sinful, and government policies can't change the hearts of people. That's something the gospel has to do. But nevertheless, by fourth point, God calls his people to honor and submit to governmental authorities. You know, this question just, here. Well, just this point that you made about how no government is worse than bad government. I think we can see in some of the cases, say in in the Sudan, where there's just chaos. There's yeah. just, I mean, it, it, you know, the there's no control, and you you watch on the TV and you see these soldiers running around with guns, and you think they're not under control, and that's a, a prime example of just the anarchy and the, and the chaos that comes when there's no government. And, you know, we often talk about uh, the problem of evil. We talk about uh, the problem of, uh, uh, you know, the, the issue of natural disasters or natural evil, as we refer it in philosophy. Well, you know, sometimes you want to help out people who, who are living in third world nations who suffer a great deal. But part of the challenge is, uh, will my money ever get there or will it be taken by these particular groups? And, you know, you're exactly right. It's like there is a gang warfare taking place on a, on a large context, whereas government is intended to maintain the peace. Now, it doesn't always do that, but there are some significant roles Uh I even want to go out and say, look, I think Christian people ought to carefully consider what kind of role they can play in government. I mean, um, I vote. Uh, I It's inconvenient to go to jury duty. 
but I always do. And uh, I've been on a couple juries. And I have to say, I thought it was very meaningful and purposeful. And uh, we reasoned through, uh, you know, the case, and we came to conclusions that I think were were correct. And I think justice was served. Um, I also think that Christians have to think very carefully about uh, maybe being involved in the political systems. Um, you know, again, I think it's tempting to think, well, the world's coming to an end. It's, you know, um, there's no changing it. We don't know that. And we look through church history. When St. Augustine died, uh, you know, the Visigoths were at the gate. Um, he thought, wow, is this is this the end? Is this the end of the Roman Empire? Is this the end of civilization itself? Uh, but things change. Sometimes the sometimes Christianity seems to be on the ascendancy. Other times it seems like it's going down. We we don't know these types of things. But um, you know, I think I think you can still be a public servant. And I think I think that's a very that's something you can feel very good about when you're serving uh in in governments. Not for everybody, uh, but I think it's important for us to recognize that government officials are deserving of honor um, and that uh, it's possible for us to rebel against government and actually be rebelling against God. Hmm. And that leads me to point number five. God calls his people to obey him. That is, God calls his people to obey him, God, over all government authorities. Uh, I think of Acts 529, uh, where the apostles were confronted, and they said, we must obey God uh, rather than human beings. So, so required submission to the government, it has its limits. And believers are to obey government, except when the government commands something God forbids, or government forbids something God commands. Let me say that again. Uh, we're to we're to obey the government uh, unless the government commands something that God forbids, or government forbids something God commands. You know, there were people in Germany uh, who began to recognize that they had an antichrist uh, running the country. And there was great evil taking place. And Germany was had strong influence from Christianity, uh, not just Protestant Lutheranism, but there were a lot of Catholics in Germany as well. And so Christianity had a big influence. Uh, and there were people who had to work through these issues. Wow. Um, uh, is it possible that we have to disobey? And some of them, some of them even joined together uh, in an attempt to 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 kill Hitler, um, you know. And so these are these are issues that are that are difficult and, and are challenging. Um, but nevertheless, uh, we have a we have a duty to disobey. Uh, again, if uh, if the government uh, commands something that God forbids, or the government forbids something God commands. And, you know, I have a lot of uh, sympathy and respect and appreciation 
for people who've lived under, uh, uh, you know, totalitarian regimes. Uh, in fact, if I could note the branch of Christendom known as Eastern Orthodoxy, because they're in the East, they have they have suffered a lot of persecution uh, from the religion of Islam, and then after that, a lot of persecution from the communists. And uh, you know, it, it's uh, I've lived in the West, I've lived in America. Uh, I've never been in a war uh, as a participant, as a soldier. Uh, there are many things that I benefit from. Um, and, and yet I think we need to think through these ideas. Um, I could even add a point here that I, I think is important. And, and that is, um, I take the position that when you, when you do not worship the true and living God, the God of the Bible, uh, because you're made in God's image and and because you have a, a an awareness of God, God has kind of put within us uh, a knowledge of himself. I think when when we don't worship the true and living God, we don't stop worshiping. We go looking for some ultimate issue. And uh, I, I think some people gravitate, for example, toward environmentalism. Dave, I think some scientists gravitate towards science. I mean, the universe is so big and so extraordinary and so beautiful. It's easy to kind of make that an idol. For some people, uh, when they talk about politics, it seems like politics is their religion. And um, I think I think it's important to, to recognize that uh, there's something bigger than that. Uh, God is on the outside. And so I think it's important for us to realize that uh, we are to obey government, but that obedience has limits. And um, the only way we're, I think, going to be able to please the Lord is reflecting upon his scripture and thinking about these big issues. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to point number six here. Um, and that is that God will bring all present human governments to an end in the eternal state where Jesus Christ will reign forever. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Um, I, I think we need to appreciate that, uh, that government can't replace the church. Government can't replace the gospel. But there is going to come a time, you know, think about the Christian worldview. One way to think about the Christian worldview is four successive events, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Well, I want to speak briefly about the consummation. And here I'm going to go to the apocalyptic book in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, Revelation 19, 15, and 16. Uh, John wrote the, the Revelation, the same John, I believe, that wrote the Gospel and the Epistles. Uh, it says, he will rule them with an iron scepter on his robe and on his thigh. He has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Well, Christians have obligations. We need to discharge our civic responsibilities as citizens. And of course, we live in a temporal world, but we need to we need to carry forth our responsibilities with diligence, with wisdom, with justice, with benevolence. 
And of course, we're always seeking to be informed by the Christian worldview, but we also have to realize that this world will come to an end, and uh, we are called to another uh, kingdom. Now, I also want to touch on the idea of being a citizen of two kingdoms. I mean, uh, I'm a Christian. That is my primary identity. Uh, I'm a human being, and because I'm a human being, I am sinful and broken and need a redeemer. I have embraced Christ as my savior. He is my king and my ruler. I devote myself uh, to the triune God, but I'm also uh, a a pilgrim here on planet Earth, uh, born in the United States of America, uh, and I am an American, and I have a citizenship as a as a citizen here in America. Again, I vote. I uh, when they call me to jury duty, as inconvenient as it is, they always call me to jury duty. By the way, when I'm trying to finish a book, it just seems <laughs> like I'm in that situation. But I also uh, engage, uh, and and again, I pray for, I pray that the the leaders of my nation uh, that they'll have wisdom, that they'll have justice, that they'll they'll act courageously and defend the innocent and uh, punish the, you know, the evildoers. But I recognize that I can be citizens of two kingdoms. And uh, again, th these are issues that have been around the church for a very, very long time. And um, I, th I think that it's tempting, and I feel the temptation myself. Uh, you know, sometimes I look at our culture and our civilization, our society, and uh, sometimes it seems like it's slipping away, it's breaking down. But I, I have to go back to my study of history and realize there have been times in the past where the church was uh, going down, and then there was a revival, and then some other times it's going down again. Uh, but I would hate to see Christians kind of give up on, on government, give up on the system. Um, you know, sometimes it troubles me to watch a lot of the news. It it It's very... Uh, concerning, but I, I think what I try to do is it drives me back to praying. It, it drives me back to giving consideration. And I would like to talk a little bit, if I could, about uh, the question of, you know, how uh, how should a Christian specifically approach voting and supporting political parties? Now, I'm not going to say anything about how you vote. I feel very strongly that Clear thinking, this program, you know, we, we try to help people to, to know how to think. We don't tell them what to think. Um, now, I think that there are things that, that can go into this. And I know for me, uh, when I think about voting, I, I ask myself, is that candidate competent and qualified? What's their background? Um, where are they coming from? I, I ask practical questions too. I'm not just an armchair philosopher. I ask myself, are they electable? Uh, because sometimes in voting, you, we all realize, uh, you know, sometimes we're voting for a candidate. Other times we're voting against a candidate. Uh, so I ask practical questions like electability. I raise questions about the candidate's moral values. Um, I 
ask what kind of policies has that candidate been involved with? Are they noble? Are they effective policies? Uh, I ask myself, is there a political philosophy that is well-informed by the Christian worldview and in accord with Scripture? And I also ask, uh, do these candidates have an inspired and hopeful vision? Again, I'll tell you a little bit about my parents. Uh, I grew up in uh, in a, fam a family, Catholic family, uh, and I remember in the hallway, just outside my bedroom, there were three pictures on the wall. Uh, there was the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and then there was Franklin Delano Roosevelt and John F. Kennedy. And uh, I thought, that's kind of an odd trinity there. Uh, hmm. Nevertheless, uh, I remember my parents. Um, uh, they, you know, they lived through World War II. My dad was a combat soldier. And they had just come out of the Great Depression, and they lived in West Virginia, which was hit very hard economically. Um, in fact, Eleanor Roosevelt said that she visited West Virginia in the early 30s, and she said, I'd never seen such poverty. Um, well, uh, I, I know that uh, it was very fearful at the time of World War II. Remember, the first three years of that war, the Axis seemed like they were winning. And and I, I I just came to recognize that my parents were very inspired by Franklin Roosevelt. In fact, I would say whether you like Roosevelt or you don't, whether you think his policies were good or or, or harmful, wherever you come down, I know with my parents they Franklin Roosevelt gave them a sense of hope during a very difficult time. When I think about voting, I ask myself: Is this someone? who can instill an inspired and hopeful vision. And some politicians, some candidates are very good at that. Some are maybe not so good, but those are things that go through my mind uh, when I'm making my decisions. So gentlemen, what do you think about some of these ideas? I just think this is great stuff, Ken. And in fact, I'm so, in, in my Sunday school class, we were just starting the book of Exodus and talking about the question, is it ever appropriate for a Christian to lie? And of course, in the context of, Je of Exodus, it was the midwives lying against the government. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I would like to take this material and present it our next Sunday morning uh, as kind of a follow-on to what we were discussing before. Well, uh, I have two handouts, and I will I will give you those, even an electronic copy if you'd like. I would like to give a couple uh, sources. There's a very interesting source that informed me. It's online. It's written by Justin Taylor. Ten things to know about what the Bible teaches on God and human government. Mm. That is uh, from the Gospel Coalition. Very, very helpful piece. Uh, another book I, I read some time ago was by Chuck Colson, Charles Colson, God and Government. I, I had the pleasure of meeting Chuck Colson many years ago. He was interviewed on the Bible Answer Man uh, back in the early 1990s. And um, I think his story is really extraordinary. I mean, here's this high-powered attorney, uh, you know, kind of a uh, kind of a hit man in a in a legal context. Uh, you know, he uh, was involved to some extent in the Watergate uh, uh, issue in the in the 
1973, 1974 in the Nixon administration, he went to prison. Uh, imagine being a high-powered attorney and then being incarcerated. It was there that he uh, read C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. Uh, then later he wrote his own book, Born Again, uh, came out and started prison ministry. Um, you know, it, it is it is extraordinary. Sometimes, sometimes you know, we think um, maybe the Lord doesn't have a lot of people who are in high places, but there are times He does. And uh, Colson, uh, his life is is really a, a, an extraordinary tale. Let me give you another book here. Uh, this is written by David Van Drunen entitled Living in God's Two Kingdoms, A Biblical Vision for Christianity and Culture. Uh, he holds kind of a two kingdoms model and uh, so, some very helpful things. And I, again, want to encourage our listeners uh, to, to recognize that we have responsibilities. We, uh, You know, our government here on this earth, uh, that's not the kingdom of Christ. Christ has his own kingdom. And uh, we are the beneficiaries of that kingdom through the life, death, uh, passion, uh, resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we do have responsibilities, uh, and we have responsibilities to people that we live with here. So I'm hoping this will be something that will provoke some thought. And uh, again, uh, I have no wish to... Uh, say anything about political issues or who or what or where you vote. It's more looking at how how can the Bible and careful thinking inform my ideas of government and politics. Yeah, thanks, Ken. Along that thought that you just closed with, I wish instead of the televised debates where we have candidates pitted against each other, I wish that the questions came from a philosopher like you or some other Christian who know what kinds of questions to ask where they weren't already prepared beforehand. Because it seems like regardless of what you ask the candidate, they're going to go a certain way. But uh, political philosophy, I think, would be more enlightening than, you know, what do you think of this policy? But anyway, that's just... Well, you know, it's comment. interesting, Joe, just the other day I was on YouTube and I was watching uh, one of the debates between... John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon in the 1960 election. And uh, my, my thought was, wow, this was much more substantive than debates that I've seen over the last 20 years. They really were going at it and... Uh, and and there you know there there weren't ad hominem attacks. They were really going at at policy. So um, I think that I think debates can be really good. But I completely agree with you. I, I think a lot of times uh, the appropriate questions are kind of missed. Mm, yeah. All right. Well, thank you for your uh, thoughts on that, Ken. I'm sure it'll be helpful for our listeners. Let us know your comments and questions. You can reach out to Ken via Twitter at rtb underscore k samples and we'll be glad to read your comment here in fact here's one that uh, came in recently ken it says uh, ken i found time to read your book classic christian thinkers it's such a helpful little volume i like it thank you for taking the time to write it the structure is so clear and you made it interesting and personal not dry way to go I think your book might be a good text for us 
to require in a new program we're developing for young people in Right On Mission. Celebrating you and this contribution you have made, Sarah, and this is Sarah Sumner, who is the founder and president of Right On Mission. So yeah, that's great. I appreciate that. Okay, again, uh, you can send your comment to Ken via Twitter at RTB underscore K samples. Get clear thinking sent to your device by subscribing to the Reasons to Believe podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and most podcast services. For Ken Samples and Dave Rogstad, this is Joe Aguirre with a reminder that the goal of apologetics is not victory, but truth. Thanks for listening and join us for the next edition of Clear Thinking. Thank you for listening. Your prayers and financial support are reaching people with reasons for faith in Jesus Christ, our Creator and Savior. To allow Reasons to Believe programs like this to continue, make your gift today at reasons.org.